The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting and IGN and critically acclaimed. And everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Most of those things as well. Indeed. And uh, this week on Critic <laughs> This week on Cancel Too Soon, we have so critically- many podcasts. So many. What, what? 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 What podcast is this? What's What's today? <laughs> it's like the stepfather. Wait, who, who am I here? <laughs> Welcome to our Jurassic Park podcast. Oh God, we should probably do one of those, shouldn't we? Oh, one no, for no, dinosaur. I, that, that was a joke. This that is what. Joke. There's no Jurassic Park <laughs> podcast. I promise. Gallimimus number six hundred and twelve, episode three. <laughs> Look for the JP Mark. <laughs> Remember those Jurassic Park toys? Yeah, so they, you can just so they had a JP mark on them, so you could differentiate them from every and other, other dinosaur, dinosaur toy, toy because yeah. you can't copyright dinosaurs. <laughs> and they also had uh, you can do dino damage, and you could like rip a chunk out of the dinosaur and like see its bones and muscles underneath. Which I feel just wasn't, like in the movie. <laughs> I feel it wasn't in keeping with the spirit of Jurassic Park. What no. they should have is humans with dino damage, I, and you can rip the back off of Alan Grant. There, what I would love to see is a movie based on the. Toy Toys that were based on Jurassic Park because I don't know what weird universe they were creating with those toys. <laughs> weird net guns, yeah. and crazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, this week on Cancelled Too Soon, we are reviewing a series that was selected by our Patreon subscribers. Want to give a very special shout out to everyone who subscribes on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Critic Acclaim is the banner for all of our shows, and every month uh, you guys get to vote for a series that we will review. On Cancel Too Soon, and this month all of the options were primetime soap operas. Yeah. And I kind of thought the Aaron Spelling one with Drew Barrymore was going to be the winner here, but uh, I, and it was close. It was close. You guys always surprise us. Oh, every time. Every, every time. time. We, we, always, we always suspect you'll pick one, it'll be a runaway. Never is. Never a runaway, Never. You, not you once. always, always startle us. The people who would actually, like exert time, energy, and money to support a show as esoteric as ours mm. want the esoteric <laughs> stuff. Like, that's what they want. The, the deep dive. So, here's our deep dive. Yeah. Pasadena, California, where William is from. Yeah, I was born and raised in... Well, I was born in Arcadia, but I would move to Pasadena when I was six months oh, old. Oh, piff. When I was six months old, I moved to Pasadena. Uh, Pas- I, Pasadena I, is east of here. Uh, it's like a half-hour drive and no yeah. traffic. Uh, it's let's see how how would the rest of the world know Pasadena? It's where the Rose Bowl is held. The Rose Bowl and the Rose Parade are the mm. two things Pasadena is most famous for. Uh, the Rose Parade is every New Year's. It's a big frivolous parade, lots of marching bands, lots of celebrities, and giant floats that are covered with petals from flowers. And because 
those will die so quickly. The last like two days before the parade is a mad dash to cover it with petals. Yeah. Like a yeah, paint yeah. by numbers thing. And, and because of the rule, like it used to be just sort of floats covered in flowers, like back in the early days of the parade. Yeah. And that was considered just sort of opulent enough, but they started to get a little bit more elaborate as time passed. Oh, yeah, there's huge animatronics. Making things and, out of flowers, yeah. and yeah, now there's just huge, yeah, they, they just cover it with whatever kind of plant material, and the only rule is it has to be, like, legit living plant material. Yeah, you can't have it decorated with anything else. No, That's you can't the rule. do paint or fiberglass, but you can, yeah, have gigantic animatronics. And sometimes they're really cool. If you grow up in Pasadena, the the bloom goes off the rose rally relatively quickly. If you'll forgive the pun, uh, because you know, every the, year the streets it's there. flood. Uh huh. It's they they take up like again. It goes through most of the city. Mm. Um, if you've been in Pasadena long enough, you know you don't have to pay for like premium seats at the start of the parade. There used to be a Chinese restaurant towards the end of the parade, like the very tail end, that like nobody knew about. And me and my family, we would just go at like 10.30 by the time the parade (laughs) actually got there. And we would just be enjoying some dim sum and just looking at the window. It's like, oh, it's a big old cat. Um, Kermit the Frog is the Grand Marshal this year. Fun. Like that's, Mm. you learn these little details later. uh, My, uh, I'm I'm not a Pasadena native, but I'm a SoCal native, and yeah. my uncle lived in Pasadena, so we went out there pretty frequently. And he lived really close to the parade route, so we'd go to his house for New Year's, we'd watch some of it on the TV, and then we'd just walk yeah. down to the parade route. Yeah, and it's fun, it's fun, but if you've seen it 20 times, you've seen it enough. Uh, yeah, I think, I think twi- twi- twice might be enough. Yeah, you're good. My favorite uh, part of the parade was, after the parade was over, that's when, like, the evangelicals would flood. Oh, and There yeah. were, like, people carrying crosses with, like, little wheels on the back, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, dressed as Jesus, kind of dancing and smiling. It's New Year's Day. Yeah. And they would litter the street with those little Jack Chick tracks. Those oh, like yeah. little Christian comic oh, books. Those things, are, those things are horrible. Oh, the, uh, just the, horrifyingly like vile and hateful comics. The, the, the biopic of Jack Chick is in the is it in the future, and I can't wait for it. But yeah, these these really this weird super evangelical mutant version of Christianity that I don't think anybody's really familiar with. Yeah, and yeah, written in comic these tiny little comic book form. I have a Sorry. bunch of those in my home. Um, other things about the Pasadena people may or may not know the Better Parade. That they used to have every year, and I think they still do. Uh, was the Poobah Parade the Doodah Parade? We called it the Poobah Parade. It's, it's called the Doodah Parade. It's called the Doodah Parade. And, yeah, we the, called it the Poobah Parade. It was a little joke, but the uh, the Rose Parade was annual, and the Doodah Parade was occasional. Yeah, it's just whenever they could get their shit together. <laughs> And the Doodah and that, Parade that was, was, was like uh, Shriners, uh, local but, Rocky Horror cast. Yeah, just weirdos. You know, yeah. The weirdos. My dad's my dad was in a motorcycle club, mm-hmm. uh, the Southern California Norton Owners Club. Uh, Norton is a kind of oh. British motorcycle that my dad used to restore, and uh, they got themselves in the Doodah Parade a couple of times, and uh, they would have like their and these are like fifty year old. Covered in grease, no matter what time of day it is, they just uh, they would take a shower and wake up, and they all of a sudden have motorcycle grease on them again. They don't know why, mm. and they would just be walking down the street with tailpipes from 1960s motorcycles that they had somehow learned to play like a tuba. Like it was pretty special, and people mm. would throw tortillas for some reason. I never understood that one, but uh, that's that's another thing you can get in Pasadena. Pasadena is a very odd town in a lot of ways, and one of the ways is there is a huge class difference. 
There are mm. people of enormous wealth who mostly live in like the San Rafael area. If you remember stately Wayne Manor from the 1960s Batman show, or they reuse it again in Batman uh, Batman Forever. It was the exterior of Bev Wayne oh, Manor. Oh, no kidding. That's right. in Pasadena, and we mm. drove past it every every day while my mom went to school. Nice. Uh, she, uh, she taught at San Rafael Elementary. Um, but there's also... You know, a lot of working class people and a lot of very poor people and a lot of really horrific crime. For yeah, example, yeah, yeah. and I'm not to bring everyone down, but uh, Halloween in Pasadena died about 25 years ago when there was a drive-by shooting on Halloween and trick-or-treaters were sadly taken from us and it just no one went trick-or-treating after that yeah so like yeah. halloween is dead in pasadena it's a weird town full of weird traditions and weird i think dichotomies. i think it's it's back now like people it, have become brave just, enough to, just, to venture out in the streets but again, typically but, what they do is they pile into like cars and vans and go to certain neighborhoods rather than the go, entire yeah. city or go, go to like malls or something exactly um so uh i i i love pasadena uh, it's a very uh a lot of amazing food, a lot of great culture. The Pasadena Playhouse is one of the most respectable institutions of its kind. Pasadena City College is one of the most respectable mm. city colleges of its kind. It used to be home of the Rialto Theater, which sadly closed down several years back. Um, but, uh, but you can see glimpses of stuff like that in La La Land. No, La La true. Land was in at fact, the Rialto. They, they restored the Rialto just for La La Land, yeah. like the exterior, and then they shot it, and then they just left it that again. Big, that big, gorgeous bridge that uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone walk through, like it's like all uh, elevated over a canyon and everything. No one ever actually uses that. It's called Suicide Bridge for a reason. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, but it's gorgeous. So, um, anyway, it was, I was very curious to see Pasadena because uh, it's ostensibly set in my hometown. However... Um, there, there's no nothing to indicate its place. There's a couple. There's a little bit of terminology. You'll hear well, people somebody refer to like, things like South Pass, which is mm. something I think you probably only know is the common mm. nomenclature for South Pasadena if you're from the area. Uh, somebody says that they had to go way out to the west side to go shopping, which is true. You have to yeah. drive a while to get to the west side. But um, there's a weird bit where uh, the, the rich family in Pasadena clearly lives in San Rafael. They do talk about mm. that, and there's a bit where uh, two of the teenagers Teenagers talked about they had to run to Old Town to use a payphone. No, they did not. <laughs> no, that's a that's a hell of a run. That's there's a there's a liquor store in the other direction that's about two blocks. You could have done there. That, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Pasadena was clearly shot in Pasadena for the pilot. However, after that, they clearly moved to Vancouver or some such nonsense because it stops looking like Pasadena immediately. The opening scene of Pasadena, and we'll talk about the plot in a second, it amused the hell out of me because it's a big, like, you know, media firestorm, everyone uh, rushing around Allison Lohman, who you probably know from movies like Drag Me to Hell, and... Uh, she's just like, yes, this is this is what happened after the events of this series. How did we get here? Ooh, wouldn't you like to know that kind of tease? Mm -hmm. And uh, they're all in City Hall, and then in the lobby of City Hall, in the lobby, not like the driveway, in the lobby, she gets into a limousine, the limousine starts driving through the lobby, and then there's a really awkward cut, and now the limousine, which clearly would have had to have driven down some stairs, wow. is now in front of City Hall. It's really kind of hilarious if you know the geography. It, it was a dream sequence, though, right? I thought it was supposed to be a... Because there uh, were a lot of dream sequences throughout There are, however, however, there's, in the pilot in particular, it, the pilot ends with, like, the entire family in Pasadena. It's all about this fabulously wealthy mm. Pasadenian family. Um, 
And uh, she says, like, this was the last time we ever had our picture taken together as a family. The implication is that this is a story about the downfall of this family. Right. So I took all that to be that part to be literal, but there are a lot of dream sequences. Mm. However, the show doesn't really ever capitalize on that. No, it doesn't go back to that. Uh, I might have gone back to that if it had gone on a few seasons, mm. but it's not like the story of the first season. The story of Pasadena. Pasadena was created by Mike White, uh, who you might know as uh, sort of an indie darling in the film world. He Mm -hmm. did uh, Chuck and Buck. Uh, which is a really great, exceptionally dark, yeah, he, exceptionally dark dramatic comedy uh, from 1999, 2000? Two, yeah, around there. Early, around there. 2000. Um, he also wrote, uh, co-wrote the screenplay for School of Rock. Uh, uh, he, Orange County, Orange County he, did. he did. Dead Man on Campus, which I have to imagine his version was a little bit more malevolent than what it turned out to be. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's a, a celebrated screenwriter and filmmaker and just media presence in general. Uh, he's, in addition to uh, all, all of that stuff, and he did much other he wrote The Good Girl, which is a really great Jennifer mm-hmm. Aniston movie. Uh, he wrote Pitch Perfect 3. He co-wrote, he wrote the, Pitch Perfect 3? No he kidding. All right. he, he co-wrote the Emoji movie. I imagine his version was a lot more malevolent. You have to imagine he had brought something a little more interesting to it than what we eventually got. Oh. Uh, he had previously written for Freaks and Geeks and Dawson's Creek. I think it was uh, on Freaks and Geeks. No, sorry. Dawson, Freaks and Geeks was a little bit after this. My bad. Oh, okay. Freaks and Geeks was one year after this. Uh, Dawson's Creek, he'd worked before. Mm. Um... And he's also been on several reality television shows. He was a he was a contestant on Survivor and The Amazing Race. So, gosh, he gets around. He gets My, around. Um, this was a series that debuted in September of two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars. Get this, <laughs> Dana Delaney. Yep. Martin Donovan. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Allison Lohman already. Mm-hmm. Both uh, are Getty. Both are Getty and Natasha Gregson Wagner. So I'm having some lost highway flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Chris Marquette, mm-hmm. who would go on to bigger things after this. Yeah, it's Philip sort of Baker a, Hall. Yeah, Philip Baker Hall is sort of the patriarch. The occasional patriarch of the family. Uh, it's really great actor who you probably recognize more than you know her name, Barbara Babcock. Yeah. From uh, Dr. Quinn and Far and Away and Hill Street and, Blues. Uh, and later in the series, we get a younger Nathan Fillion, kind of before he had really hit his stride with yeah, the Joss Whedon stuff. Really babyface Nathan yeah. Fillion. Yeah, just and again, like a three-episode arc. It's mm. pretty great. Uh, solid, rock, mm. solid cast. I love Dana Delaney. She's I've um, always liked Dana Delaney. Uh, she's um, the best Lois Lane we've ever had. When did she play Lois Lane? On the animated series. Oh, no kidding. She was All super right. in the animated series. She was Lois Lane. Best Lois Lane we All ever right. had. She would have been a great live-action Lois Lane as well. Yeah. Uh, just like Tim Daly, who would have been a great live-action <laughs> well, Superman. Yeah, yeah. Like, they really cast that show great. Um, I never watched her on China Beach. I just That show just mm. completely slipped by me. But every time I saw her in anything, she was great. And I'm going to say this right now. She is on fire in Pasadena. Well, she's kind of the... She represents the tone of this show. Because this is a nighttime soap, which means you're going to have a lot of the usual lurid sex, sexual stories. Mm-hmm. So a lot of infidelity, a lot of uh, you know, a, a secret affairs, a lot of dark secrets that are being held from certain family members, a lot of betrayal, a lot, a lot of, of murder, yeah, yeah. some murders and blackmails, all the rest of that stuff. You know it's all coming. But curiously, Pasadena has a little bit of a wry sense of humor mm-hmm. running through. There's a, a there's a, a plot thread that's introduced really late in the series, like almost at the end, where somebody is murdered, 
and it's played for comedy effect. Yeah. Like somebody's murdered and then somebody knocks on the door saying, what's going on in there? And he starts stuffing the body under his desk. Nothing. It's like a slapstick moment. And this is a character we liked. He was a main character on the show. Mm -hmm. He just suddenly dies in the middle of a fight in the middle of an office. Mm -hmm. And then the the episode just... The the victim dies. And the episode just continues with the killer trying to like Mm -hmm. hide the body, taking two meetings while the body is under his desk. (laughs) His, His girlfriend comes the room. Oh, I want to kiss you. Yeah, I'm a, can, can you come back in a little bit? I, I need to take care of some work stuff. Okay, it, bye, honey. Okay. Oh God, what do I do with this body? It's really twisted. And if you look at a lot of Mike White's work, you can see that that kind of twisted sense of humor is very much up his alley. Obviously, mm-hmm. Dead Man on Campus, which I I can only imagine was reworked. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably. is a very twisted premise. If you don't, we did an episode of that on uh, the two shot. But the idea is there's a loophole in college policy that if your roommate kills themselves because of the emotional strain you must be going through you get straight A's for the rest of the year yeah, you're just gr- granted a perfect grade point average yes so the idea is regardless there, of your there are two work. people who are ghoulish enough to actually try to do that on purpose because they're they're failing they need to succeed for various motivational reasons so yeah they try to dr- find a suicidal roommate and then drive them to suicide uh, Chuck and Buck is a very 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 dark comedy uh, I like Chuck and Buck I, I think, think it's a brilliant it's, movie but it's 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 a hard watch sometimes yeah. um um, and it's about a guy who uh, was traumatized as a child and keeps living through it and tries to connect the person who was he's sort kind of, con- of uh, endemic to that. He's a little he's a little autistic. Like he's yeah. I, he's definitely on the spectrum. And he's the character played by Mike White is mm-hmm. is uh, Chuck and his best friend is Buck. Uh, played by Adam Weitz from uh, who wrote um, mm-hmm. wrote and directed uh, 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 Golden Compass. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and they're. Um, he he tries to reconnect with this old childhood friend. He still behaves in a very childish fashion, and they're trying to he's trying to use the same childhood lingo they did. But they're adults, and and Buck wants to have nothing to do with it. And then it's revealed like Chris White's Chris, Chris White's, White's yeah uh, reveals that they used to have affairs. Yeah, when, when they, they were, were like teenagers uh, or younger or, or or even younger. Yeah, they yeah. they used to sort of have a sexual relationship, and Chuck wants to continue that. And it's like well, but. No. A, a, I don't want a relationship with you at all. I definitely don't want a sexual relationship with you. And it's about sort of how that that relationship becomes very strained. Yeah. Uh, it's a very it's a fascinating film. It's really good. It, yeah. It's it's really really challenging. Mm. But um, but like a lot of his work is about processing trauma or dealing with incredibly uh, horrifying things in a surprisingly humane slash flip sort of way, mm. uh, depending on how funny it's supposed to be. Because people have a sense of humor, and I think, you yeah. know, just wallowing in trauma is not what human beings do. They no. deal with it with a, a good deal of, of flipness, and I think he brings that to Pasadena very well. Yeah, Pasadena but is Pasadena a, is, yeah. is far more lurid, Pasadena, because it's a soap opera. It's very lurid, oh. it's very sexual, and it is very much about uh, class warfare as well as uh, intergenerational trauma. So mm-hmm. this, the plot kicks off uh, thusly. We meet uh, our teen protagonist, Allison Lohman. She plays Lily McAllister. Uh, the Greeley I'm so, family... I'm is, so glad the teenage... Oh, I actually I kind of wish the teenage son had been named Kevin. I know. In any case, uh, the <laughs> Greeley family is the richest, most powerful family in Pasadena. Uh, they own the Los Angeles Sun, which is their way of saying they own the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. 
couldn't quite pull that one off. Hmm. But they they own the mayor, they own the police. They just they they're they're untouchable. Right. They just contribute to everyone. Everyone loves and appreciates them. They do great philanthropic work, and as a result, when they commit horrible crimes, everyone gives them a free pass. Um, their their uh, their mother is uh, uh, Catherine Catherine McAllister. Hmm. Uh, she married uh, Will McAllister, played by Martin Donovan. Um, and I, I love Martin Donovan. He's too, he's, yeah. he's I always like Martin Donovan, but he's especially good in this. Like he gets more to do than he often does in a lot of films. He gets to he's played intense a lot, but he gets to modulate a lot in, yeah. in this series. Um, so Allison Loman plays Lily McAllister. It seems yeah. like she has the idyllic life, and then one day while her family is out cavorting about doing their usual philanthropic crap, uh, a strange man breaks into their mansion and kills himself in front of her while blaming her family for the for someone's murder. Yeah. Holy crap. And so, off kicks off the so, central mystery of the series, Alison Lohman, teen reporter, <laughs> like... Like Nancy Drew decides to investigate what he means. Why is my family responsible for a murder? And like a twenty-year-old murder. A twenty, yeah, something that happened twenty years ago. And as it turns out, yeah, something happened. Something definitely happened. She runs into um, a a teen dream, a hunky guy, a new guy at her uh, at her high school. Henry. Henry, played by Alan Simpson, uh, played by a block of concrete. <laughs> uh, Alan's, he, he's, he's like the most boring character on the show. He's, he's easily the 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 least. Well, it's interesting. He's in many ways he's the most tragic character, but for a long time, his whole motivation and everything is kept mysterious. And as a result, he's the least interesting because right. we're not really seeing well, what's and, behind him. But and, even even when we learn what it is, he's on the same note. It's like, mm. okay, now we know, but he hasn't fundamentally changed as a character. He's just sort of a boring guy well, there to prop up Alice and Loma. And here's the thing, and unlike a lot of older shows that we review here, Pasadena was meant to be binged. It's so much sa- it's so satisfying when you really mainline it. It, it, it was really... It, there's it, so, so much incident that I watched like the first three episodes thinking that it was some sort of weird experiment where there are like eight episodes missing in between each one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to like do a soap opera. Like, let's say you have 13 episodes in a season, but let's pretend 13 seasons elapsed. Yeah. And you're only seeing like a highlights reel. It's exceptionally eventful. And indeed, I bet like if Mike White wanted to, he could take all of the events of season one of Pasadena and put together a Cracker Jack novel out of it. Like, <laughs> it would be great. Like be a like Jackie my, Collins style like, novel. Like the Magnificent yeah. Ambersons meets Jackie Collins. Mm. Like that's what he's created here. But like when you see how Henry turns out mm. at the end of the season... It kind of justifies the fact that he didn't change because I think he represents the people that the McAllisters and the Greeleys steamroll over because they're yeah. poor and they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, the, the he, two the two of them, Hardy Boys, it up investigating yeah. the murder. He he doesn't trust people with a lot of money. Uh, he's he accuses her family of being like it, what we say now, like there are no ethical billionaires because in order to become a billionaire. You have to do something to unethical che- to get there. Cheat, cheat somebody, uh, make a really bad deal, hurt hurt even, someone or something. There's an argument to, to be made that money. even just hoarding that much money at all and not injecting it back mm. into the economy is grossly irresponsible. Well, this, this whole notion that the benevolent billionaires will take care of us is clearly untrue because otherwise it would have happened already. Yeah, that's a fiction created by billionaires. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, the long like, every I mean, day that goes by, we realize I, that's I am, untrue. I am a moral person because I have all of this money and I can take care. We need to give all of all of our public works to private companies. They can take care of us. If they could, they would have already. Or if they wanted, if they wanted to, to. Yeah, they, they wanted to. They could already. have. Yeah, they absolutely could have. But they're not gonna. Because, well, let's not get into that. Um, 
so uh, so they're investigating, and they quickly surmise that the murder victim went to the Greeley household, and then never left. <laughs> yeah, they don't she know disappeared. What, after what happened that. to this mysterious Black Dahlia type victim? Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, they're trying to figure out what what's going on, where she might be buried, yeah. and uh, meanwhile, or if she's alive, she went oh, missing. Yeah, she could be alive. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Nate Greeley, played by Balthazar Getty, is sort of the family uh, family b- burnout. Yeah, he, he's the drug addict, he's a, the, yeah, the black sheep of the family. No, nobody wants to talk about him because he's a drug addict. He's clearly like a, a little bit disconnected because of his addictions, and he is also living through some memories that may or may not be true. We find out later in the season. This is another one where it's almost impossible to do episode by episode. It's we're going to try to give you the big a, scope. It's a soap. It. You don't we're, do that episode we're, by episode. We're going to we're going to talk about the big revelations at the end, but we're just going to tell you talk you through the characters. Mm-hmm. Baldazar Getty, you're right. He's the burnout, he's the drug addict, and we find out over about halfway through the season that the reason why he's a drug addict and the reason why he feels so disconnected from his family is because he witnessed something absolutely horrific. He, he, saw, he saw something nasty in the woodshed. There's, there's, a, there's a bloody body in a pool in every vision he has when he's stoned. And everyone told him, like, no, that was a dream. And he's starting to realize... Maybe that shit wasn't a dream, and, I, and I like maybe that, you guys are the reason I'm screwed up. I like that it, he has you know, he, he has these visions, and he starts to freak out, and he's like really afraid of the vision. And then by the time we get to like the fourth or fifth time it happens, he's just sort of rolling with it. Like there's a, a shot where he's having the vision, he's just sort of relaxing in a beach chair, saying, "Okay, what else is in here?" Like he's actually exploring the memory. I like that it wasn't just sort of used as a tawdry way of getting a trauma out mm. of him. Uh, he, he yeah. has a sister in the form of Natasha Gregson Wagner, who is also like on the cusp of being on the outs with the family because well, she wants to be an artist. Well, she's not because she wants to be an artist; it's that she's also kind of irresponsible. She doesn't have a career. Mm. She doesn't have a pursuit in life. She's, that she, was all implicit when I said she wants to be an artist. Well, what I, I, I realize <laughs> that but people do just want to be artists sometimes. That's true. The idea is she's more of like the Paris Hiltony type who isn't really making anything of herself and mm. is enjoying being able to shop and have sex with whoever she wants and not really contribute anything to society. And she's trying to find herself um there's a there's a, there's an episode early on a really shocking episode in which she's dating some guy lives in lives in her apartment building mm. and she is like oh yeah well you know you're poor and so like it's kind of a rebellious thing they think i'm just trying to piss them off by dating you and then he's just like well they're really going to be shocked when they find out i'm jewish huh and she's like you are that's great, yeah. And so she brings him to dinner and mentions mentions that he's Jewish and watches all of these anti-Semitic wasps just squirm in their seats. Not even squirm, just start telling broadly anti-Semitic jokes mm. to his like face. while he's in the room. Like this, it's just shocking. All of these people are hateful uh, uh, and racist. horrendous anti-Semites. Yeah. Oh my god. And these are her protagonists. Yeah. 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 This is the this is the most fucked up thing about Pasadena is that. Mike White, who comes from a more... Ap- he was raised in Pasadena. He, he knows Pasadena. Mm-hmm. But he knows a different Pasadena than I know. I grew up in working class slash poor Pasadena. He he knew, like, speechwriters and people who were rich and everything. Mm-hmm. And he... I think his perception of Pasadena is skewed more in terms of the affluent side. Yeah. And yeah. I get the impression that he either knew, grew up around, or is at least familiar with monsters living among us who, mm-hmm. however, are human. And as a result, over the course of Pasadena, there are unthinkable monsters that we find out are living here. And 
I'm not going to say we like them, but I think we get them. Well, I, I, um, that sort of just flippant anti-Semitism is clearly something that Mike White had witnessed. I, I mean, uh, it feels like, go, like going it. It to wealthy like parties and it's like, oh, yes, and we're going to go to church and <laughs> to let me tell you my Jew jokes. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. So he's just probably writing what he saw, writing what he knew There's about a, Pasadena. And um, he's using this to underline the fact that, yeah, these rich people are horrible. Henry, uh, Henry, the, the teen dream that Alison Lohman uh, mm. falls for, uh, he has an older brother. Their, her, their, de- their father is dead. Their mother, they say she's dead, but it turns out that's why he went to Pasadena. He's trying to track her down. Uh, and his, his older brother quit college in order to take care of him, move to Pasadena, Give his little brother everything he needs to, mm-hmm. to better himself. And he starts dating Natasha Gregson Wagner because they meet at a social event. Uh-huh. And when she takes him to the family dinners, she takes him to a family dinner where uh, a, a, a woman who is married to the chairman of the board at the newspaper uh-huh. starts going into another horrendously racist speech about how non-whites already outnumber us white people and it's going to get to the point where they have to rescue us from helicopters at the top of our mansions when they all rise up. And he has a line about, like, I didn't think people like that still existed. (laughs) And in 2001, in this era in which we thought, there are people who actually thought we were post-racism in this country. Mm. You know, at the time, that would have been like, oh, my God, what a shocking and unbelievable thing. Now, the president just says stuff like that. That's, yeah. <laughs> like, and you're just like, holy shit. Brown people ought to go back to their countries. Hey, shut up. Unc- oh, wait, you're the president. Oh. Mike White tried to warn us. <laughs> they didn't well, get to a lot of it because the, episode, the show also, only lasted four episodes. Well, also, everybody who's not white tried to warn us white people. But well, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, um, that, that was implied, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, other characters on the show. Okay, uh, um, Martin Donovan starts out the show having just had an affair. A six-month affair with someone at, his, someone at his office. He works yeah. for the newspaper. And it's interesting because initially, mm. uh, we see just how completely torn up Dana Delaney is, his wife, mm. Alison Lohman's mother, um, and how she conspires with her brother, played by Mark Valley from The Human Target, uh, to get her out of the picture, get her fired, get her get her kicked out. Mm-hmm. You know this man. She she broke up our household. How dare she? Right. And at first, it seems like Martin Donovan is the cad. Right. But Over we, the course of the series, we learn very quickly that Dana Delaney, that Catherine, is is the monster here. Is maybe the most evil character we've run into on this show, <laughs> which is a not Pasadena. I'm in Cancel too soon, and we've had shows with like the devil in it. Like we've, she's amazingly and, evil. And here's the thing, and Dana Delaney, this is why she's perfect casting for this. She's such a charmer. Yeah. She 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 looks like your f- favorite elementary school teacher. Like she has that demeanor about her. Like she's she's going to approach you with sort of a smile, but she's still capable of doing all of these evil things, but she's still so charming that you're kind of with her. Yeah. Um so she hears that her husband has an affair. She's really torn up about this, but she clearly has no qualms about trying to start an affair with Henry, her daughter's teenage friend. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. That's or- orchestra- fucked up. Orchestrating reasons for this teenage boy, this underage boy, to stay in the house so she can sneak into the guest room at night and boink him. So she kisses him while she's drunk, mm-hmm. and then the next morning she was just like, "Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk." That was well, I had too much to drink. I don't even remember half of it. <laughs> Well, she, she she does say that sort of thing just happens. And no, like, she's like I think when you she says I think when 
you get older, you'll find out that that sort of thing just sort of happens and it's not a big deal. To which he replies, to his credit, I'm old enough to know that that sort of thing doesn't just happen. (laughs) That it is a big deal. (laughs) It is not common. And it means a lot. And so he's torn because he doesn't want to break his girlfriend's heart. Mm. On the other hand, he was... He wants to get away from this woman. He wants to get away from this woman who tried to sexually assault him, Uh. basically. It's really a shocking thing to see on primetime television, even on Fox. And when she has her moment of... Later in the series, when she has her moment of reckoning, that she realizes that she... And this was after oh, an entire arc about how Alison Lohman is getting a little too close to the... We gotta go through that in detail. Right, we gotta right. go through Alison Lohman's, like, mystery arc in detail. All but, right. like, after that... But uh, she reaches a low point. She goes into a church, presumably to pray or to, to uh, confess. Well, she cries. She looks like yeah. she is having a moment. So she but, have, but then she sees uh, the minister. Uh-huh. I, I guess they're Episcopalian because he's wearing the collar, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he but he's allowed to get married. He's not allowed yeah, to get married. Yeah. He's not father. He's not a, not a Catholic he's priest. He's a rector. There you go. Yeah, and uh, she and he's played by Nathan Fillion. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a kind of a handsome butt steak man, and <laughs> and says, "Hey, I, I need some guidance. Also, I need your bod. Yeah, I'm going to seduce you, Episcopalian married minister man. Yeah, she has sex with him in their own house while her husband is out on a business trip. And then when he says, "Listen, my wife is he comes here again. This can never happen again. I'm married. I, I let it happen. I sinned. That's on me. But she's coming into town today." And Danny Lane is like, "Okay, I understand. So we only have time to have sex one more time before she gets here." And he's, and he's like, like, "Yeah, well, okay." <laughs> And then that leads to this amazing subplot where her husband comes in a little early and interrupts them mid-coitus, so but they, they manage to break it off, but it looks really awkward, and he challenges her, and he says, what, what did I walk in on? And she says, well, I've been seeing this rector uh, because of our marital problems, and he really helped me out. And it leads to this amazing scene where Martin Donovan goes to Nathan Fillion, and he says, I know what you've been doing with my wife. Can you do it with me? And hey, listen, if that goes well, maybe we can bring my daughter in. And Nathan Fillion's like, uh, what? Uh, what are you talking about? And so he ends up having to come over to the house with his wife mm. while Dana Delaney is feeling him up under the table and give marital advice. And it leads to a scene at towards the end where in the middle of... His, they've gotten so far that he's giving them marriage counseling. And in the middle of marriage counseling, he tells Martin Donovan what happens. Here, here's what's wrong with your marriage. I had an affair with your wife. Something <laughs> wrong is is clearly I, look I, conflict of interest here. I can't do this anymore. Absolutely uh, it, stunning. It, I, I, you know what? He he came clean. Yeah, he did. He did. And you know da- what? And Dana Delaney is so bad. She tainted him. And he's like, you know what? I, I I fell for it. But no, I'm pulling back now. Well, it's interesting because there's something. As much as this show is based on deception, there is a recurring theme that the truth does set people free. That's true. It might, it might true. not take them out of horrible circumstances. It might not make them good people, mm. but it does make everyone's lives better. Yeah. So truth is invaluable. Morality, not so much. <laughs> uh, so we're following Allison Lohman uh, and Henry as uh, they're skulking th- through like records rooms yeah. and questioning a bunch of people about like what what, what might have happened twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and they start. Narrowing down that like everything mom has been telling her has been a lie that she did know this person. In fact, she was really good friends with this person when she said she didn't know her at all. This person she said she didn't remember from school when she had a class of 20 people, uh, which still can happen. I got to tell you, there's maybe a half dozen people I went to high school with that I could remember their first and last names. Well, I went to a very large Los Angeles Unified School school District school. There were a thousand students. I, I... I didn't know all of the student body. I know maybe 30 people. Yeah, but even then, there were, I was in the same classes as these people for like yeah, four years yeah. in a row. 
maybe six. <laughs> only then because I follow them on Facebook. Right. Like, the, the teenagers think that that's some smoking gun. You went to high school with them and you didn't know them? Yeah, that happens a lot, actually. <laughs> it's actually a thing. You're oh. going to find that out someday. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, but uh, she, so she tries to get Henry on her side by helping him find his mother. Mm. Then she tries to get him on her side by sleeping with him. And then when Henry says, listen, if you don't cut all this shit out, I'm going to tell your daughter. That's when the knives come out and she starts destroying him. She She gets his scholarship canceled. She gets him expelled from school. She... Does everything in her power she, to give she, her older brother a job, capitalize, make make sure he feels really comfortable with his girlfriend, so that he will side with her family even over his own brother when he says she tried to sexually assault me and she's a murderer, mm. and her, her older she, brother just it, won't even deal with it anymore. It's almost like she's the executive on the show who had an affair with an actor and is trying to get them written off the show. Like she's trying yeah. to get them written off the show from inside the show. <laughs> there's a little meta humor of that uh, uh, later on. There's a character named Jenny. Uh, played by Nicole Paggi. Oh, I like Jenny. She I like Jenny. She too. didn't get to do a lot. I just like the character. There's a th- so she's Allison Loman's best friend, and she's uh, she's kind of the sexy girl at school. Who, she's a virgin, but she wants to mm. be the 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 alluring type. And she keeps trying to sleep with Balthazar Getty, even though he's like 15 years older than her. And he keeps forgetting but that's, who that's she like is. Part of the thrill of of it. So yeah, like, well for for her, yeah, yeah she, she wants she wants to sleep with an older guy. And you get the impression that she's nowhere near mature enough to actually oh, handle no. any yeah. of that. Uh, and uh, and she's a ditz. And there's there's recurring scenes where Allison Loma's just like, hey, listen, uh, I gotta go, I gotta skip school. Can you just tell anyone I'm in the bathroom for how long? I don't know, a couple hours. And someone says, oh, where did Allison Loma go? She's in the bathroom for a couple hours. <laughs> oh my god, Jenny. <laughs> well, and I, I love it's like, okay, I gotta I gotta leave campus again. I gotta skip school again. You gotta skip school again. What are you doing? I, I can't tell you. It's an investigation. No, you're bringing me with you this time. Yeah. Well, fine. <laughs> She's fun. So, but then later on, the series after a while because it turns out she's her parents are also rich it's a rich private school uh, and her father is the like ambassador to Belize and her father gets kidnapped by gorillas and she's just like I just wanted to have a subplot she's she practically says that everything always happens to you I just want something to happen to me but this sucks (laughs) I just like that she actually just wanted a subplot it starts getting weirdly meta after a while um Let's see what we got here. There's a whole bunch of uh, shenanigans at the newspaper where, uh, what's what's the dude's name? Phil Baker Hall, the oh, yeah, the, the, the grandfather, right. Elsa Loman's grandfather. He has to step aside uh, as publisher of the newspaper for health reasons, mm. and rather than letting his biological son Mark Valley. Uh, take over. He tells Martin Donovan to take over because Mark Valley is kind of notoriously unreliable. He's hot headed. He's sleeping with everyone in the office. He doesn't take it seriously enough. So he gives it to Martin Donovan. And now Mark Valley is out to destroy Martin Donovan <laughs> every opportunity he can. Uh, and, uh, and, meanwhile, and meanwhile, and this is what I like about the Mark Valley character, he starts out as the, the complete asshole. Oh, yeah. Like he's, the, the he's, womanizer, the authority. He sexually harasses yeah. someone. He threatens to sexually assault somebody. Uh, he, he's probably a murderer. He ends up making good. Sort Until, of. Well, he he ends, sort of. he ends up meeting somebody who puts him on the straight and narrow. Like Someone he who actually a little sees bit, something good in him. Yeah, who, and actually begins having like an honest, loving relationship with another human being, and then he murders somebody. But you know, <laughs> for a moment there, he was on the right path. Well, we just you just see that like it's all a matter oh, this, of what oh, they, this was in between him murdering somebody and him hiding underneath a freeway overpass, crushing bones in a bag. 
There's a really brilliant uh, when I think of characters like this, like the mm. characters in Pasadena. There's a really brilliant movie Charlie Chaplin made called Monsieur Verdu. Oh, I love Monsieur. Yeah, Verdu, people don't yeah. talk about it enough because it's one of his talkies, and people don't talk about the talkies very often. Monsieur Verdu stars Charlie Chaplin as a serial killer. Yeah, it's a comedy about a serial killer who marries rich women, kills them, takes their money, and then sends it off to his real family. Uh, and it's really he's he's really quite the monster. There's this amazing bit where he's. Trying to desperately to kill Martha Martha Ray, I don't remember. I think it was Martha Ray, no, in it. and uh, he's trying desperately to kill her, and he just can't. And she's just annoying enough because Martha Ray was good at that. <laughs> that like you kind of want her to, but at the same time, he's a monster. There's a bit towards the end of the movie where even though he's killed God knows how many people at this point, mm. he meets some just random person on the street, this this young woman who is in dire straits, hungry, homeless, and he takes her in and he just feeds her and he takes care of her, and that's it. Mm. He has no designs on her or nothing. To her, he's a saint. Right. That's it. She caught him on the good day. Right. She saw the the good side of him. If she got the full context, she probably wouldn't say that. But even after he's accused and, and you know, ultimately meets his end, she, she's going, well, to me, he was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how it is in Pasadena, where all of these horrible people, they also do lovely things. They also help people out. They also, you know, contribute to charities and lift people out of the doldrums and send people off to uh, get detoxed. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not a TV series, always evil. A TV series of pure monsters is a different kind of TV series. Yeah, we've seen that. That's Profit. Profit, yeah. Profit like, was all, a good all of those of people that. are... That, or or uh, uh, that's sort of the arc of a lot of modern TV shows, like Breaking mm. Bad. Yeah. It's like a, a normal guy over the course of the series turns into the most horrendous monster you've ever seen, and that's it. He's just of, he's just corrupted and kills people and that's sort of that's a bit of an oversimplification yeah. but that's that's in there yeah mm. and and here no Mike White is very interested in giving a very nuanced approach to these characters so that you can kind of forget that they're evil case yeah. in point Allison Lohman has dug up the dirt on her mother over the course of about half the series mm. literally she, she and was her, digging I, in a lawn looking she, for bones and she found the corpse of the person that the Greeleys obviously killed and buried in their backyard she found the corpse she found the found a skull ribcage whole lot a human being died and they hid the body on their in their lawn forgot mm. in the rose garden Pasadena <laughs> and uh, uh, she, so they run to Old Town to make a call rather than go inside to make a call. And while they're gone, Mark Valley picks up the bones, smashes them into little pieces and throws them in the L.A. River, mm. which is also kind of a joke because oh. the L.A. River is rarely deeper than two feet. Uh, when it rains, that thing is a, a monster. That's a big win. <laughs> if you're in Southern, Southern California, if we have rainy seasons. Mm. But most of the time, it doesn't fucking rain. We have a rainy season. It's like six days in January. It's a good six days. I'm not denying that. But during those six days, the LA River was wreaking havoc on the community. All right, that's fine. So they had to build the concrete channel to prevent destruction of homes. I didn't report on the LA River (laughs) in the eighth grade. I will not be questioned on this. How many times did it rain in the course of the show Pasadena? Zero. Uh, Towards the end, you can tell that it was raining a little bit, and they had to hide it. Oh, <laughs> there's like one show. shot where you yeah. can see some drops of water and it looked a little gray like that's mm. it but like it does not rain on this there, show there's a reason why there are car chases in the LA River because there's never enough water to cover a car exactly um, so that part was kind of funny mm. um, but uh, when they get back the, the bones are gone mm. the police think that she's out of her mind uh, they file a restraining order against Henry, so now he's like the crazy corrupting influence, and she's like, he's headed out for our family since the beginning. He hates rich people, and he's one, he, uh, 
he he's trying to destroy us from within because he's jealous. And he gets kidnapped and disappears. Meanwhile, he's, he's just, and he's just sort of off the show for, for like, like four episodes. Four or five episodes. You don't know what gone. happened to him. Meanwhile, Allison Lohman is drugged and kept in her bedroom while her mother sits at the side of her bed and just says, I wanted to be your mother. I wanted to keep this nice. If I have to keep you drugged to keep you shut up. That's what I'm gonna do. And, and ends up sending it, sending him to a, sending her to a shrink, uh-huh. who's trying. The shrink is clearly also, also corrupted and trying to convince her that she's wrong about all this. And, after and then while, weirdly, that relationship, like that animosity between the mother and the daughter, is just sort of casually forgiven. Well, and here's the thing that's amazing about that. And I think it really, really works if you if you're able to binge the show. Mm. After a while. What is normal around you, we start to accept. Yeah. So when paranoia is normal for her and she starts seeing all these dangers, she starts to accept that. When Henry is gone and there is no longer anybody in her life telling her that something is wrong mm-hmm. and, that her, and that her mother and maybe her father are lying to her, when all those people are gone, even she starts going, wow, maybe I was just being paranoid. This is my life. This is my family. They do take care of me. We are there for each other through thick and thin. Maybe I'm not. And then Henry shows up and she's like, oh, right! My mother's an error! What was I thinking? I totally... I totally forgot! I was but ha- like, having, for a, a, having a, another relationship with another guy who was less Nancy Drew and was actually seemed kind of a decent dude. For those episodes, I started thinking, because it really felt like the show had hit a huge crescendo. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, the intensity. When they were digging up those bones, it like, felt like the show was ending. And then it like it it plateaued for a little bit, and I was like, "Oh, is this where Pasadena loses steam?" That's kind of a shame, but it doesn't last long enough that you lose interest. It lasts long enough to let you know this is the insidiousness of gaslighting. Yeah, they gaslight her. This is the one of the best examples of gaslighting you'll ever see in fiction outside of outside the movie of Gaslight. Gaslight. Yeah, <laughs> like you, this is really quite incredible, and it's so beautifully acted because even Dana Delaney, who is doing monstrous things. Mm think she's right. She thinks she's, she's reasonable. Right. And and she's convincing enough an actress that for brief flashes we're kind of convinced. There's a bit at that the she's end in the right. When Martin Donovan leaves her after the whole Nathan Fillion thing, there's she's in this amazing speech. If this show hadn't been canceled, this speech would have been her Emmy nomination clip. I think she would have won because yeah. she's so damn good on the show. She, she talks about how he says, "I can't live a lie." She says, "Why?" Lies can be beautiful. It's, it's worth fighting for some lies. I know that you and I are just playing roles right now, but I love our roles, and I don't want to quit this show, Pasadena. Like I, I added that one part, but it's like they're talking about the show. They love being these people. Yeah, she yeah. loves the facade of normalcy because she doesn't actually have it, and she will do the most evil, un- abnormal things possible in order to keep the lie alive because the lie is the closest thing she's got. Now the, uh, what a great character. There's a, a great metaphor for the whole series early on where uh, they, I think it's in the second episode they introduced that there's a gigantic rat in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they freak out. Oh no! There's a rat in the kitchen. Okay, good David Lynch symbol. There's filth mm. in the clean thing. Oh, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's not it's, that good. It's, it's, yeah, pretty, it's, obvious, it's pretty obvious. Well, and then they get some like rat poison, and they like a couple episodes later, their dog eats the rat poison and dies. So it's like okay. But while Dana Delaney sits there and watches, she just doesn't mm. care anymore. Yeah, yeah. She's like, like, oh no, the dog ate some poison. Ah, it's fine. The dog will be okay, and the dog dies because it ate the rat poison. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just. 
not like trying to get rid of the filth in the laziest way possible only creates more death. Kind of. That's that's the that's the like Mike White tipped his hand pretty early on. <laughs> like this this is the theme of the show. Get it? So what oh. they what they discover is they break into the teenagers break into her therapist's house where it turns out he has tapes of his various sessions, including tapes with Mark Valley, who confesses in therapy to killing that woman 20 years ago. Problem is, like, the teenage son of that therapist is there with her, and he's like, you, you, can't, you can't use these tapes as evidence. You'll destroy her family. She's like, but a woman died. Yeah, 20 years ago, well, we've all moved she, on. And she rightly says, but that still doesn't make it less wrong, just because there's a lot of time has passed. And he actually, but he has, he has a point. Who is this helping mm. at this point? And indeed, you're going to destroy your whole family. Is that what you want? And they deal with that. They deal with the fact that she is a teenager who doesn't know anything other than the life that she's led. And so as they are trying to escape with that evidence, the guy, sh- the teenage uh, son of the therapist shows up. And rather than she could have just easily handed, it through the, handed the evidence through a window to Henry. Mm. And instead she freezes and she lets the other guy take it. And Henry's just like, you wanted him to take it. And she's like, a part of me did. A part <laughs> of me wanted that decision taken away from me so I can go back to normal. I would like that. There's a part of me that would really, really mm-hmm. like that. And that's how, again, the insidiousness of uh, uh, not not just one's own family, but also uh, luxury. Mm-hmm. The idea that you're so rich and powerful you don't have to worry about anything, that a lot of people would do anything to preserve that. Even live a lie. Which everyone in the series does. Everyone in the series is completely traumatized with something that happened in their past and living a lie in order to preserve whatever normalcy they can. And it, it is so I, I, rare to find a soap opera with a consistent ethos. And, uh, you know, and like an actual thing to talk about. One major well, thing that's complicated and, and interesting. And characters that are self-aware enough to real Like, they're not just sort of driven by their impulses or their appetites. Mm. They know that they're break. They know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. They're not insane. They're not distracted. Mm. They but are, self-preservation to them is also right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they know what they're doing. They're kind of okay with what they're doing. In many cases, they're really happy to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet we still like them. That's a really hard thing to pull off. The fact that I was able to muster any sympathy for Mark Valley after mm. in the pilot episode, he basically threatens to sexually assault someone mm. in like this second scene in the show. And I was able to muster any sympathy at all for his character is a fucking miracle like a yeah, the, miracle well, of drama we're able to like he, he's seen later on this is he yeah, he takes the bones he breaks them and he throws them into the river mm-hmm. and then he starts having this really kind of nice clean relationship and you realize that yeah there's humanity to this guy and then he kills another person on a whim and this is natasha gregson wagson's boyfriend and the, wagner and the, excuse me and and the brother of henry the boy uh, who was working with alison loman to solve the mystery yeah, so a, a recurring character on the show is just dead and Somehow they're able to actually play that for laughs. It's so perverse. So he kills the guy, and at first he's like kind of waking him up, like, oh god, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, are, you, are you okay? He like tries to give him CPR, nothing's working. And then uh, his girlfriend knocks, and he's trying to hide the body under a desk. Yeah. And when he finally opens the door, he's painting, and she's like, oh, were you trying to. Were you trying to rub one out during work hours? Well, I can help with that. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I finished. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. Well, can we talk later? Yeah, we can talk later. Okay, bye. And then he goes to Balthazar Getty. He's like, hey, you want in on the family? You want real responsibility? Help me take care of this dead body. Okay. Balthazar's like, that's not what I meant. Well, tough. That's what it means to be a Greeley. 
So they, I, I'm clean now. Not anymore. So they they dump the body in the woods, and then in the most surreal yet simple and perfect scene, mm. it's a three shot of Mark Valley, Balthazar Getty, and in between them, Natasha Gregson Wagner on a couch. Mm. Natasha Gregson Wagner is like, oh hey, no, it's, when's, it's my, when's my boyfriend gonna show up, guys? Yeah, he's running a little late. I know he's been busy with work. And Balthazar Getty is like twitching and nervous and sweat, like clearly guilty. And then instead of perpetuating the lie because they're all family, mm. Balthazar Getty just says. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a little stressed out. Oh yeah, why? Something happened to the office. What was it? Mark, Mark Valley killed. Mark your Valley killed your boyfriend, and we had to bury him in the woods. He's not even panicking about it. Right. He just says Mark Valley killed your boyfriend, and we had to hide his body in the woods. She's like, "What?" And Mark Valley is just like, "Look, it was an accident, and we just have to deal with it." And she just starts staring off, like, "What?" And then that's the end of the episode. Yeah. And then the next episode, she's understandably distraught, and so Paltasar Getty has to like get drugs from his old dealer just to get her hooked on drugs in order to get her back. Back to oh, normal, no. and Mark Valley's trying to spin it, and he's just like, "Hey, listen, you wanted to be a real artist. Problem is, you never suffered. You never had anything to say. You're suffering now, right? You're gonna be a great artist." And a part of her life's like, "Yeah, okay, kinda. okay." <laughs> Holy shit! If you ever have another boyfriend, you want me to kill him too? Maybe. <laughs> the, it all resolves. God. It's so so it all resolves. It looks like the evidence is gone. The Greeleys are going to get away with everything. And Henry just tells Alison Lohman, like, listen, you got to get out of that horrible place with those well, Henry, evil monsters. Henry just reappears, by Henry, the way. Henry yeah. reappeared. Uh, Mark Valley dragged him out of town, beat him up, and, like, dropped him off in the middle of the desert. And he somehow mm-hmm. manages to get back home. So he was trying to reopen the investigation, trying to get those tapes, trying to get evidence that the Greeleys are responsible for a murder. And when all of that completely falls through, he just tells Alison Lohan, look, we just got to get out of here. They've completely destroyed my life. Mm. They're corrupting you. They're making you incredibly unhappy. They have you drugged. They're trying to brainwash you. Let's just go. Mm. And so he says, okay, so just meet me outside at 8 o'clock. We'll just drive away and we'll just we'll do the best we can. And that night, Dana Delaney, who is put things back together with her husband by threatening to take away his job and the kids and throw him in jail. Well, and he, with, with uh, the help of Philip Baker Hall, yeah. he says, I, I can't, I can't, I'm going to divorce your daughter. And Philip Baker Hall says, okay, then you lose your job. It's like, what? You can't do that. You have to get the board. I'm the board. <laughs> I can do that. I'm Philip the Baker Hall. Um, and even, he even tells Henry after he finds out that his son killed Henry, Henry's brother, he's just like, hey, I'm, no one's going to jail. You want some money? <laughs> and he's just like, I don't actually want money. Well, then you should move. And he's like, okay. So he tries to get Alison Loma to move with him, and it's supposed to meet me at 8 o'clock, and then like at 7.30, Dana Delaney shows up and just says, hey, listen, we've been through a lot, haven't we? All right, here's what really happened. Oh my God, what really happened? So uh, the girl who was murdered... Mark Valley didn't kill her. Dana Delaney killed her. And the mm. reason Dana Delaney killed her and, is and because... And who's surprised here? No, I'm not on, surprised uh, at all. It's got, a, it's got a, an old boy kind of twist to it. Uh, Dana Delaney had been sexually abused by her father, Bill, Philip Baker Hall, when she was a kid. And she told her best friend, and her best friend said, we have to tell the world, we have to get you out of this horrible nightmare scenario. And Dana Delaney, in an attempt to preserve the family, mm-hmm. killed her. Mark, Paul, uh, Mark Valley took the... Uh, 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 took the blame, mm-hmm. and they've been hiding it ever since. Yep. Boom! Yep. And now all of a sudden, Allison Loman, who not, not, really not, did, not so shocking a revelation, not so think, shocking, but, yeah. but fucked up. And the, and the revelation that she that Philip Baker Hall had been a child molester the entire show is a bit of a blow. <laughs> like holy shit! 
And Alison Lohman, and this, who... <laughs> and this was after Magnolia. Alison Lohman has had such a weird journey over the course of the series where she's trying to solve this mystery, she's trying to get justice, but people keep telling her, what do you really want from all of this? And she's ultimately decided that what she really wanted was the truth. Mm. She wanted people to be honest with her. And now that her mother is honest with her about lying, but now that she's in on the loop, she doesn't want to go. Mm. And Henry just is told to fuck off and he goes off without her which is He's, fine because I don't like Henry well, but what's tragedy is what's tragic is that Henry represents Henry's like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this whole show mm, he's just watching all this stuff happen to other people no, it's not, no 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 that's not Rosencrantz and Guildenstern at all you know Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are often you know written out of a lot of adaptations of Hamlet because they're seen as unimportant mm. Hamlet is a story about a bunch of rich assholes who destroy each other Rosencrantz and, and take Gilden- people down with them. Yeah, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are the hoi polloi. They're the normal guys who just happen to go to school with Hamlet. Mm. And their lives are destroyed and ended. They're murdered because of these bullshit machinations. They represent the fact that all of the rich bullshit shenanigans, all of the conspiracies and the lies and the affairs and the murders that you think, oh, well, it's just what rich people are doing. It trickles down. Yeah. And it will affect everybody. And Henry is left destitute, without family, Without love, without hope, completely destroyed in every conceivable sense of the word, except the fact that he's not dead. And that's it. And then all of these horrible murderers, monsters, and child molesters. Raise a glass. Racists and anti-Semites, the lot of them. The last shot is them having a cheerful dinner together because that's their life. And that and that really, like, holy shit, tear-jerking um, somewhere over the rainbow slash what a wonderful world's. Uh-huh. Mashup done by um, uh, Israel Kamikamomo Kamikamomo Oh god I've screwed up his name <laughs> Long Hawaiian name <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look it up like, the, the, yeah, the, the, the late great Is as he was known um, That that had to this really great uh, Cover of mashup of uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow And What a Wonderful World And it makes you cry every time And that's how the show ends Israel Kama Kawiwo Ole. That's yeah. what I was trying to get. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful cover somewhere over the rainbow, yeah. but and it's often used ironically because it's otherwise kind of on the nose. Mm-hmm. Boy, is this the most like bittersweet, fucked up, cynical <laughs> ending. It never gets around to the whole, like, this is the end of the Greeley's bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were going to do that in season two or the last episode of whatever, however long the series would have gone. But... Uh, yeah, if anything, it's really perverse to tell us that all these people are going to get their comeuppance and then show us at the end of the series is all we got that they never will. Yeah, yeah. Holy is, God, what a so good show. 13 episodes. It was canceled after, what, four? Four. Four episodes ran. So we didn't get to... Most people didn't get to see this. They ended most up rerunning it like, stuff, like, late you know? years later. Um, on uh, soap like, nets and... Like uh, oxygen. Yeah, like yeah. certain... Basic cable show. Basic cable, networks, yeah, yeah. Networks actually ran it, so it was it was out there. You got to actually see the end yeah. if you were. You can attentive. find it online, uh, and yes, you can find it's it. Never been officially released on DVD, but you can find it online. Uh, but uh, this is an incredibly cynical show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynicism is the name of the game. It came out in two thousand one. It was being uh, put in development probably around the year two thousand, maybe even ninety nine. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's some echoes of American Beauty in here. This sort of takedown of the suburbs that the wealthy people are all kind of well, depraved and suffering. Even the even the music, especially in the first episode and the the title credit sequence, mm-hmm. is very Thomas Newman. Yeah, it's Mark Snow, but yeah, he's, do, he's doing Thomas Newman. He's doing he's the Thomas evoking Newman, evoking that American Beauty um, uh, aesthetic. 
but it had the bad luck of debuting in late September of 2001, shortly after the 9-11 attacks in America. People were not in the mood. Cynicism... Van- evaporated almost immediately, which is ki- which was kind of painful for the ch- kids of the '90s because hey, man, that's all we got. <laughs> yeah, we that's have, true. We have to be sincere now. Well, like, oh, fuck. Remember, like, what was like what was like the huge monster blockbuster that emerged less than a year after 9/11? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. And in- Incredibly earnest, old-fashioned, frankly, and I love it to death, mm. hammy movie with big old shots of the American flag mm. and New Yorkers supporting Spider-Man. This is New York! You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Cynicism was dead for a bit. Yeah, and, and it still kind of is. Well, there's, there's a, the, no, we've got it back. There, and in the we've mid, got cynicism back. In the, well, Breaking uh, Bad. Breaking Bad is cynical true, okay. as fuck, you know. All right. Game of Thrones is very cynical. Mm. Like, there's, there's cynical we, we have We have our Deadpools. You know, they're, they're out like, there. It feels but, like the cynicism is less uh, nihilistic the world sucks and I don't know any better and more no we've seen it the world actually does suck and here's, her cynicism comes from place of experience and intelligence yeah um, but here it feels like it's also from experience and intelligence mm. he knows Mike White and the other writers on the show Diane Keaton directed the first episode of this uh, they are clearly uh, Mary, Her- Mary Heron directed an episode uh, yeah. who did uh, American Psycho yeah Brilliant, a, a brilliant director. Wonderful, wonderful felt cynical takedown of 1980s culture, and it's actually really relevant. This show was written, directed, produced by people who have a sense of how the rich and powerful operate, not in some sort of conspiratorial, you know, spreadsheets and bulletin boards, it's all connected kind of way, but in terms of how they think. Mm. They know the great adage that the greatest villains don't think of themselves as villains. That doesn't mean they don't know they're doing the wrong thing. It mm. just means that they think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And Pasadena just immerses you in that, and it's like it's like you're the you're the mm. frog in the in the kettle. You know, it just it turns the heat <laughs> up until you don't realize just how incredibly mm. fucked everyone is. But uh, yeah, what when it came out, people weren't in the mood for this sort of thing. No. Uh, now, it was quickly acclaimed. People did appreciate it oh, yeah. at the time, just didn't get an audience. Yeah, yeah. Just no, nobody cared. Nobody wanted to see this type of cynicism at that moment, uh, which is a pity because this is actually quite a good show. This is one of the better and, shows we reviewed. I and think. I'm going to say yes, it was canceled too soon. Hell yes, the show was canceled. I, I want to see this thing last eight, nine, twelve seasons. I really fucking do. Because I, really I know do. that they were going to go to even more effed up places. Oh, the tone was just perfect. Imagine. The cast was great. And there's some um, loose threads. There's yeah. still evidence floating around out there against I, them. The daughter made tapes of people confessing to crimes. And Alison Lohman, if she got to star in a long-running soap opera type TV series, might finally be able to play an adult for once. Because <laughs> poor Alison Lohman. So great. She's she's great. Uh, she's so play, And she's played a lot of uh, really varied roles. Roles, but she's she suffered from Salminio syndrome mm-hmm. in that she simply looked younger than she was, mm-hmm. which means she had trouble f- gaining credibility as a performer when she played adult oh, characters. Not Salminio, Judy Garland, Winona yeah, Ryder. Yeah, a lot they of, just, yeah, Winona Ryder's only just now starting to get like adult roles. Yeah, like, yeah. that are actually befit old. And, and she's, she's like fifty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Alison Lohman is in her 40s. Now, she's doing okay. Uh, she married she's one... 40s, I know? She's in her 40s. She's 39. 39. 39, okay. Yeah. She, she's about our age. And um, she married one of Neville Dean Taylor. 
It was either Neville Dean or Taylor. That explains why she was in that really quite terrible movie, The Vatican Tapes. Mm. Um, yeah, she she was in Drag Me to Hell, mm. and then she took a break. Yeah, she, was, she, she wasn't she in stuff have, for years. She doesn't after have that. to keep acting. You know, nobody's no. nobody's obligated. No, but, they can stop whenever they want. Mm. But it's a damn tragedy because she's really, she's really very talented, really good. And, and I think she's great at Matchstick Men. If she, she got to uh, st- and and Matchstick Men, yeah, she played. In fact, in that movie, she plays an older woman playing a teenager. So she's not she's that much of, older, but she's still but yeah. yeah. Um, she yeah, she's a really compelling presence. And I think Drag Me to Hell is one of the great horror films of the last twenty years. It's a really terrific film. It's a really wonderful thing, right. and she gives a really yeah, fantastic I, performance says someone I, who doesn't know how corrupt she is. If she was given the opportunity to play a character who is aging in real time along with all the other characters, she would have been able to play an adult more credibly because we got to see her grow up. Um, instead, she kind of got typecast. and I, I've, It's really a pity. She was in a lot of really great films. She got a lot of work. She's not hurting. She worked with Adam McGoyan. You know, she's doing okay. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I still wish that her career had continued. Yeah, and, but however, the the performance that people missed mm. by not seeing Pasadena it was Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney <laughs> is one of the most underappreciated actors of her generation. She won some Emmys, but she's not considered by many. When you think of great actors, mm-hmm. she's not typically in that conversation. And if you watch Pasadena, I defy you to tell me she shouldn't be. She is masterful mm. in Pasadena. She knows how to be funny, romantic, fucking terrifying, tragic, <laughs> in the same moment, the mm. same line of dialogue. She can do all of those things. It is an astoundingly nuanced performance. It's a great character. This character is a gift to any actor. And in fact, a lot of the characters in Pasadena can be called the same thing. Like, mm. Baldazar Getty is a bit one note. Fine. Maybe they would have given him more to do in season two. Jenny is a bit of a comic relief character. She does it well. She's, She's very fine, funny. Yeah. She's great. We didn't even talk about the uh, the son. Uh, oh, well, uh, we didn't talk about the son because the son's he's just sort of ballast. Well, would they have a? There's uh, 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 one one little uh, bit where he's caught in an embarrassing sexual situation. Well, uh, the uh, Allison Loman's brother uh, is played by Chris Marquette, mm. uh, who you might remember from Freddy vs. Jason or The Girl Next Door or Fanboys, um, and he's got no serious drama. He's a bit of a horn dog. Because he's he, 14. He's yeah. 14. He's, he's full of hormones. Uh, he's hiding porn around the house. Uh, trying to get with the girl next door. And there's a funny scene in which she finally comes over and says, I know you've been watching me through the window. Mm-hmm. And I thought I could give you a hand with that and give you something that would change your life. And he's he, like, like, reaches over and touches his leg. And, and he's like, like, oh, yes, you can do that. Uh, and then she hands him a pamphlet for like lifelong virgins anonymous. Like a support <laughs> group. People who should be virgins forever. And he's like, oh, I'll well, look, my subplot is over on a joke. I'll look into that. Can you leave? Please, I have more porn to get to, <laughs> and that's it. And there's this—he just constantly like, I, I, you get the impression he's gonna be Balthazar Getty. Like he's just like nothing. <laughs> he's not really brought into the fold ever. He's mm-hmm. kind of content just to be a layabout. <laughs> he's like, not not the tragedy Balthazar Getty, but he's just gonna be like, no, he's gonna, it's not gonna be. He's gonna be Natasha Gregson Wagner. Yeah, like yeah, where like just... he somehow all like the real trauma just. Flew right by him because he never seemed interested in it. He's just going to be sort of a just a rich Lothario, a, a, a rich heavy drinking party boy. And yeah, that, that's that's his life. That's going to be his life. Not although, life. Although I think a lot of makers of TV and film don't give enough credit to how horrible fourteen year old boys are <laughs> when it comes to their sexuality. <laughs> 
Uh, this is why I like that show Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. Big Mouth is all about how puberty like stuffs cotton balls into your eyes and rips your brain out of your head and you cannot think about anything else to the point where you do really horrible things in service of your libido. In Big Mouth, it's envisioned as a monster, a literal monster that follows you, ar- follows you around and tells you to do horrible things. Yeah. It's like, oh gosh, I feel terrible at school today. What should I do? You should go masturbate. Wait, what? Why should I go masturbate? No, you should go masturbate. Why are you telling me to masturbate? It's because it's your hormones. You should just do it. It's like, but that has nothing to do with anything. Okay, fine. I guess I'll go to the bathroom and masturbate. Why am I doing this at school? This is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He's a character who they understand. I I, I think. Yeah. I think Mike. We're not proud of that character, but that's real. I'd love to see like more shows about just, oh gosh. What am I going to do now? I guess I'm going to have to jerk off. That's my only choice. I have no other options here. I'm 14. I can't think. And on that note, I have a son. I know what I'm looking forward to. It's going to be a weird life. It's going to be dad, horrible. But by the time I hit puberty, my dad had apparently completely forgotten what puberty was like. Oh. He had no idea what I was going through. My weird questions mm. about like... How, how STDs are transmitted. Like, Dad, I, I used the public bathroom. I think I have an STD. Dad's like, oh, God. I, like, it's I not so stupid. Like, Dad, just talk to me, for God's sake. I, I love him dearly, but he completely forgot what puberty was like. He had been way look, really I, late in life. As a parent, you can't just turn to your child and say, that's a stupid question. And boy, did I get a couple of those. So and it <laughs> sticks with you. Thanks, trauma. <laughs> so moving on. Uh, yeah, Pasadena definitely canceled too soon. If you can see the show... Highly recommended. If this came out it's today, so good. if this came out today, I think it'd be a huge hit. Honestly, with almost no with almost no changes. Uh, no, some changes. Yeah, uh, I mean, people have cell phones, and that would change the plot slightly. Mm-hmm. But like, it's very similar. This show would not have to be dramatically different. I think it would have played if it were made today. Like, say this is an HBO show. Yeah, you know they would have played up the sex and violence maybe to a point where it wouldn't have made the show as good. Well, if it was on network it was, TV, they yeah. would have kept it where it is. Yeah, if this is on true. CW, this would have been like at that's least true. as popular as Pretty Little Liars. If this was like a freeform you know? show, it yeah. would have been just as good. Uh, Which is a weird thing to say. It needs to be on freeform. That's your mistake. Said no one ever. It should have been on freeform. <laughs> um, so that is it for Cancel Too Soon this week. Thank you everybody for listening. And seriously, thank everybody who voted for this show. It worked out great for us. Yeah, thanks. This I, was, I this really was, enjoyed it. This was a treat. Uh, we'll be back next week with a failed pilot. Uh, because Whitney's going out of town and we don't have time to watch anything long. So uh, <laughs> we're going to be reviewing uh, the pilot for Suburban Beat. About uh, Dee Wallace and Heather Langenkamp as housewives uh, who start solving crimes in their community. It looks great. <laughs> from the 1980s, and I cannot fucking wait. Nice. Right when Dee Wallace and Heather Langenkamp, well known at the time for horror movies. Yeah, Cujo yeah. and Friday, A Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. and great. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. And then uh, the next poll, which will be debuting on our Patreon page soon, and every Patreon member gets to vote in the poll, yeah. even at the $1 tier, uh, is going to be all retro-themed sci-fi shows. I know we do a lot of sci-fi, but hey, we, let's do more. <laughs> here's the problem. We have a lot of them. We have mm-hmm. to start getting through them. So uh, our, our options include Flash Gordon, the 2000s series. From the Sci-Fi Network. Great. That was really cheap. Uh, The Invisible Man from the 1970s with a heroic Invisible Man rather than an evil one. Uh, Logan's Run, the show, which is probably has a lot more running, I imagine. (laughs) I've actually never seen the show. Uh, And The Star Lost, about which I know nothing. 
Oh, there's stars. Hold on, uh, I have, I have the DVD uh, right and here. And they're lost. Oh, I have the DVD right here. Yeah. Let's see what we got here. Star lost. Star lost. The stars are lost. Star lost. Okay. I wish those stars hadn't gotten lost. Threatened by a cataclysmic event, mankind builds a gigantic Earthship spacecraft, the Ark, to save the last of humanity. An accident kills the crew, and the airlock connecting the ship's domes are sealed. Cut off from the outside world, many communities simply forget they were ever on a spacecraft. As the centuries pass... Wow, that actually does sound kind of neat. Okay, there's a lot going on here. That's actually a really high-concept show for the 1970s, so kudos to them. Um... All right, anyway, I look forward to reviewing any and all of those at some mm-hmm. point. We'll get to all of them eventually, but we'll review one of them next month. We also have some other really cool stuff planned for next month, so we hope you stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some uh, um, a double feature, like two series in a row we've been meaning to get to for years, and we're just going to finally do it because we're tired of waiting. <laughs> uh, and we're going to do something we haven't really done before, but... It's going to be a little treat for y'all. Yeah, a little, a, little, a, little, a little new way to deliver the content that we think uh, might be a, might be fun. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, thank you once again. Thank you one and all. Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Hope you have a wonderful week. Um, and that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Oh, we're on Twitter at Cancelcast. <laughs> Uh, I'm I, guess it's, I guess it's not a rap, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a twist. It's a, it's a mid-credits cutscene. We're on Twitter at CancelCast, also at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Don't forget the Patreon is patreon.com slash Critic Acclaim. Now that's a wrap, and now we'll see you next season. No, wait! No, wait!